The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. Normally at the open of each show, we would get ready to enjoy the alpha male good life. We would be in a celebratory mood. We would talk about what we'll be discussing on the show that will feature cigars and spirits and alpha male pleasure diversions, but not today. Today... We're in a very precarious situation as cigar connoisseurs. Let us kill the music because this is no time in any way, shape, or form for us to celebrate. On Thursday, the FDA, or as I like to refer to them now as the FUDA, and you know what the FU stands for, dropped a nuclear bomb on you as a cigar connoisseur and the cigar industry as a whole. Live, Live, local, local, late breaking. breaking. This is a Cigar Dave News Bulletin. For the past several years, the FDA has been seeking comments about their deeming rule. The rule that would allow them to oversee the cigar industry. And on Thursday... The FDA delivered their results, and they chose to ignore every single comment from you as a cigar connoisseur and the cigar industry. We are under attack. We must rise up right now. Warning. 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 We've reached DEFCON 1. Civil rights have been breached. Congressional insurgency has begun. Stand by as your general enacts countermeasures. By now you have probably heard the news that the FDA came out and said that they would oversee other tobacco products, including cigars. Most of the buzz was for e-cigarettes, e-cigs, those that vape. But we're going to confine our discussion to cigars, and cigars tended to get lost in the shuffle. Now, there are two options that the FDA had, and this goes back to the 2009 Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act that uh, Barack Obama and the taxocrats were very high on passing. Uh, Senator Ted Kennedy, taxocrat, murder Massachusetts, one of the leads in the Senate that had been pushing for this, for the FDA to oversee tobacco products. And initially, it was only for cigarettes. But within the regulation... The FDA was given the authority to regulate other tobacco products. First, they must seek comment to see whether or not it made sense for them to do it. 
And to subject a product to regulation, the FDA had to demonstrate that the specific product, meaning a cigar or premium cigar, possesses issues of underage consumption and health and mortality impact through addiction. Now, both of those items have never been associated with premium cigars. So there were two options that the FDA announced two years ago, in mid-2014, when they, they seek, sought public comment for their FDA deeming rule to extend authorities, uh, their authority to regulate two cigars. And there were two options. Option one, full oversight by the FDA over other tobacco products, including cigars, to treat cigars and premium cigars exactly like cigarettes. The second option, a provision that would have exempted premium cigars from the FDA oversight and FDA regulation. Well, on Thursday in the morning, the FDA launched their nuclear attack on freedom, they launched their nuclear attack on cigar connoisseurs. They launched their nuclear attack on family-run businesses. They launched their nuclear attack on employees, people who derive their livelihood from premium cigars, and they did so without listening to one bit, one shred of the evidence presented in front of them by cigar connoisseurs, by the cigar manufacturers, by cigar retailers, and by the cigar industry associations. Not one shred, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. But first, let's hear what Sylvia Burwell, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, had to say in a statement announcing the FDA's rule to regulate cigars and other tobacco products on Thursday morning. Significant new steps to make sure all tobacco manufacturers and retailers follow the same rules. Rules that help protect children and give adults information they need to make informed decisions. Under authority Congress gave to the Food and Drug Administration, stores will no longer be allowed to sell e-cigarettes, cigars, and hookah to people under 18 years of age. Sergeant Steve, stop it right there. Stop it. Stop that right there. Now, she said stores, retailers, will no longer be allowed to sell cigars to underage youth below the age of 18. That's been the law on the books for I don't know how many years, 50 years. In some states, it's 19. And now we have other states, including California, that have just voted to raise the tobacco purchase age to 21. Why? Because you, as a 19-year-old, 18-year-old, 20-year-old, while you're smart enough to vote, while you're smart enough to risk your life for this country, risk life and limb, you're not smart enough to make your own decision that you want to enjoy a cigar. So I don't understand where the FDA, they're, they're jumping up and down, Sylvia Burwell saying this is going to be great because now we're going to protect the children. We're going to give people more information. They can't, be, they can't purchase a product unless they're 18. Well, no kidding. She's announcing that? That ain't news. Sergeant Steve, continue. And all sales to those 26 and under will require a photo ID, just like cigarettes. For the first time, the FDA will be able to review and regulate all new tobacco products not yet on the market before these products reach store shelves. This rule does not change access to e-cigarettes, cigars, and other regulated tobacco products Stop for adults. Stop it right there. Sylvia Burwell is a blatant lying bastard. It will not change the access 
of cigars to consumers? Well, when you hear the testing process that cigar manufacturers are going to have to go through, she's lying right through her teeth. This is going to kill the boutique cigar industry, the boutique cigar manufacturers, and it's going to kill the ability for companies, for manufacturers, to come out with short-run, limited edition, or seasonal cigars. Let's continue hearing Sylvia Burwell, the secretary of HHS. Over the age of 18, consumers will gain access to information and risks associated with these new products will be clearer and easier to understand. Clear and easier to understand. There are warning labels now on cigar boxes that the industry adopted uh, with, the, with a settlement with the FTC going back now probably 15, 17, 18 years. So there are warning labels. In a premium cigar, the only ingredient is cigar tobacco. That's it. There is nothing else. There is no added ingredients, period. Now, when she says they're going to be, they'll be able to, there'll be more warnings. One of the things that the FDA, in their deeming rule, they're going to destroy the look, the packaging of those ornate and beautiful and majestic and artistic cigar boxes. They're going to destroy it. They're going to destroy an entire industry. And I will continue, I will go on. I'm going to go line by line. There's 499 pages in the final FDA rule which uh, now will subject the cigar industry to the same restrictions. In fact, I would venture to say further restriction than cigarettes. Now, when we come back, we'll start addressing some of the specifics and how will it affect the cigar manufacturers, how will it affect your ability to buy, to enjoy, and consume a cigar. And then we're going to go through line by line. The arguments that the industry, that the public made, and how the FDA blatantly ignored and disagreed with every rational, intelligent, honest, legitimate fact and statement and argument presented before the FUDA. I've got it. The mainstream and lamestream media, they won't go through this. I will. I read the 499 pages, and I've got the 35 pages of arguments that the cigar industry made, the summary and how the FUDA responded to it. The good news is the industry is not going to roll over and allow the Obama administration and the bureaucrats and the non-elected officials who believe that they have the divine right to impose their moralistic view on you. They're not going to allow this to stand. There will be litigation. There will be lawsuits. It will get ugly. And this affects even those of you. You may be listening saying, General, I don't smoke cigars. This doesn't affect me. I don't care. Do you think the FDA is not going to come after your steak? Do you think the FDA is not going to come after your soda down the road when they're done with cigars? You think the FDA is not going to go after your caffeinated coffee and other caffeinated products? You better believe they will. So you better wake up. Because we now live in a land where the government, the Barack Obama administration, the bureaucrats in this administration are running a tyrannical government. They are ignoring what the, pe- the will of the people. They believe they are far superior and smarter than Americans. And they believe, they absolutely believe that they don't have to report to any 
branch of government, specifically the legislative branch. They ignore Congress. They believe that Congress is a nuisance, and all you need to do not only is look at the FUDA, but look at the IRS, and look at all the other agencies that appear before Congress smugly and basically give them the middle finger and say, screw you, Congress. We're going to circumnavigate the, the Constitution blatantly, blatantly circumvent the Constitution, and we're going to ignore your right to oversee our department or our branch of the administration. This country is in deep effing trouble, big trouble. This is the culmination. For the last six years, this is exactly what the Obama administration has wanted. This is what the bureaucrats wanted, and the proof is in the pudding. When I go through each line, what the arguments and statements and facts that were made by the cigar industry, how they blatantly ignored every single one of them. When we come back, we'll start picking this thing apart. How does it affect you as a cigar connoisseur? How does it affect the cigar manufacturers? And what exactly, what exactly did the FDA, how did they reply to all the intelligent, rational, honest, truthful arguments presented in front of them by the cigar manufacturers, cigar connoisseurs, and the general public? I'll tell you when we continue. The cigar manufacturers, the cigar industry, cigar connoisseurs, freedom as a whole is under attack in America. If you miss any of the general show, you can catch up anytime with the Cigar Dave mobile app. Presented by Diamond Crown. Listen to the most recent show simply by opening the app with our continuous replay. Or you can download a podcast of a past show. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store to get it. The journey of Jarguera began with a very special yet delicate Cuban seed. The Grupo de Maestros took their rare tobacco to the privileged farmlands of western Honduras, where they began a five-year program to combine its sweet flavors and distinctively aromatic qualities with the robustness of Criollo 98. The result was Jarguera, a genetic hybrid tobacco containing the best qualities of each. Grown on a single state containing rich soil and ideal weather conditions, Jarguera features flavors of coffee and chocolate with hints of nutmeg and cinnamon. Shade and sun-grown versions of this exceptional tobacco are now used exclusively in one cigar. Jarguera H. Upman. Experience Jarguera H. Upman. Now at your local tobacconist and visit jarguera.com to learn more. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. 
Hi, this is Rocky Patel. If you're a beginner, or if you just enjoy a great mild cigar like I do in the morning, I suggest you try the Vintage 99. This seven-year-old Connecticut wrapper delivers a creamy, mild, smooth flavor. It's very, very balanced on your palate, and it absolutely is delightful. Tons of flavor, a perfect draw, and an incredible ash. This cigar is smooth. It will entice you to enjoying more and more of the Vintage 99s. It's just a nice, great, balanced, smooth cigar. Look for it, the oldest Connecticut shape in the market today. I'm Rocky Patel, and I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General warning, cigar smoking can cause cancer and heart disease. Defending your rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of pleasure. It's the General Cigar Dave. Thursday morning, the FDA announces their deeming rule to extend authority to regulate cigars and other tobacco products. So what does this mean? What exactly does it mean? Well, first of all, they rejected any form of legitimate, truthful science. They rejected every single argument put in front of them by the cigar industry, by cigar manufacturers, by the cigar-consuming public. And there are, there's, there's items in here which are most lugubrious and most detrimental. So let's go through it. First of all, this would regulate the deeming rule, any, would regulate any cigar that has been introduced into the marketplace after February 15, 2007, so nine years ago, Nine years ago, but before the rule goes into effect on August 8, 2016, will be able to remain on the market for two years. However, every cigar between that period, Feb 15, 2007 to August 8, 2016, will have to go through FDA product testing. They will have to submit, the manufacturers will actually have to submit an application showing the manufacturing process, the ingredients, the science uh, into the cigar, the, the, a scientific analysis. There will be new warning label requirements. Nobody knows how much this is going to cost. Estimates by the FDA's own admission, somewhere between $250,000 and a million and a half dollars per item. Meaning, let's take an example. We talked about the new Camacho power band uh, last week on the show. There are, I think, going to be four sizes. Camacho would have to put every one of those sizes through testing. So let's just pick an even number. Let's just pick half a million dollars a year, that would, or half a million per test. That would be $2 million. How many boutique manufacturers, small mom-and-pop family-owned manufacturers, some great names out there, would be able to afford a half a million dollars for testing? This would put them out of business. And they're going back now, nine years retroactively to products. So they would have, manufacturers would have two years to be able to keep the products on the, in the marketplace. 
But they would have to submit an application. They would allow, be allowed to sell the cigars until the FDA rejects their applications. Now, nobody knows how long this is going to take. The FDA has a huge backlog. Nobody knows how much this is going to be. And now, after August 8, 2016, cigar manufacturers will have to submit any new cigars for approval before they're allowed to enter the market. Now, think about this. A cigar manufacturer has a great crop. They want to use it for a short run, a limited edition cigar. Maybe they can only make 100,000 cigars. We've seen that over the last number of years. It's been a popular trend. Before they could sell that, they would have to subject the product to testing, pay the FDA approval fee, get the FDA application fee, and who the hell knows how long that's going to take. Could take a year, two years, three years. They would kill the speed and spontaneity. The cost is unclear on this. This is more bureaucratic boondoggle. This is going to increase expense, increase time. It's absurd. Now, for now, Internet cigar sales will still be legal. However, the FDA has announced that they will now go after flavored cigars. So for those of you that enjoy cigars from Drew Estate, the acid cigar, an herbal-infused cigar, for those of you that enjoy a Maker's Mark cigar, or any cigars that are infused with a whiskey or cognac, those cigars are the next target, and the FDA wants to make them illegal, period. So an acid, a Java, a Tatiana, a Maker's Mark, all of those cigars would be deemed illegal. Gone. Finished. Now what else? Something very big. Free cigars. Sample cigars. You go into a retailer. They have a, 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 an event with a manufacturer. You buy a box of cigars, you get a special five-cigar pack. For example, Rocky Patel had an event not too Rocky Patel five-pack. That would be illegal. And the cigar manufacturer would not be able to even to the cigar retailer. What would that do? That would jeopardize every cigar event in the country. Period. This is disconcerting and lugubrious state that the cigar manufacturers find them in. Now, when we come back, we're going to go through how the FDA rejected legitimate science, how they rejected every single argument. The FUDA is attacking us. We cannot let it stand. You, you need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars. Info on the show each week and see what The General is smoking. Click like at Facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Tradition 
traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Enjoy the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club now, and you'll receive three premium cigars every month. Membership is just $22.95, including shipping and handling. Join by going to CigarDave.com now. That's CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. The general has turned on the no pleasure police sign. You may now feel free to enjoy the good life. Thursday, the FDA released their final deeming rule to oversee and subject premium cigars to their regulation. So as I said, it would require back to a 2007 date to undergo testing. That would require hundreds of thousands to an excess of a million dollars. Every cigar launched after August 8th of this year would have to undergo the, a, a submit an application before being able to be released on the market. So that could take years. That will kill boutique cigars. That will kill short runs, special editions, seasonal releases. Additionally, the uh, FDA is limiting the ability to hand out for manufacturers to hand out free samples, either to consumers or to retailers. That will kill every cigar event in the country. Further, every cigar box now, those ornate, those majestic, those artistic, those gorgeous, those visually appealing cigar boxes that so much time and effort and artwork goes into, 30% would have to, of a box would have to have a giant warning label. Same warning labels that are running now but it would take 30%. And on every magazine ad, radio ad, they are going to destroy, destroy the artistic nature of cigar boxes. All in the name of protecting youth. All in the name of giving adults the information they need. Now, speaking of information, the premium cigar industry associations, the Cigar Association of America, the Cigar Rights of America, the International Premium Cigar and Pipe Retailers Association, cigar consumers, cigar connoisseurs, the general public, they filed statements during the common period with the FDA. The associations met with the FDA. They met with their tobacco oversight division. They went through, they educated them, they showed them the factory, the J.C. Newman factory. They went through this over a long period of time. Did the FDA or as I like to refer to them now, the FUDA, because that's exactly what they've done, is give us the big FU. Did the FUDA consider any of our, our arguments? Did they look into the research? The answer is no. Now, the lamestream media will never report this. 
Of the 499 pages, there's about 35, 40 pages that discuss the facts behind why they're regulating premium cigars. And on page 174, uh, section 7, regulation of cigars and selection of option 1. And they state clearly that option 1 proposed to deem all products meeting the statutory definition of tobacco product except accessories of a proposed deemed tobacco product to be subject to FDA's tobacco product authorities. And they say, although thorough review of the comments and the scientific evidence, after thorough review, FDA has concluded that deeming all cigars protects the public health and therefore has adopted option one in the final rule. FDA has concluded that, number one, all cigars pose serious negative health risks. And we know that's a load of bull. Number two, the available evidence does not provide a basis for FDA to conclude that the patterns of premium cigar use sufficiently reduce the health risk to warrant exclusion. Also, a load of bull. And three, this is a real deceptive line in here. Premium cigars are used by youth and young adults. I want to go back to something very important. And I assure you this will be the basis of the industry's lawsuits and litigation against the FDA's proposed regulation or their final rule. In 2009, when Congress gave the FDA the authority to regulate tobacco, when they passed the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act, they also allowed the FDA to to propose a rulemaking to oversee other tobacco products, including cigars and premium cigars. However, the FDA had to demonstrate that cigars or a specific product possess issues of underage consumption, meaning being consumed by people less than 18. Didn't say anything about young adults, meaning adults 18 plus who are of legal age. Now, legal age in this country, you can vote at 18, you can die for your country and serve in the armed forces at 18, and you can buy a cigar at 18, although that's now starting to change. So the FDA had to demonstrate the specific products possess issues of underage consumption, as well as that the health and mortality impact through addiction uh, was of serious consequence. Both have never been associated with premium cigars, period. In fact, a few weeks ago, Congressman Hal Rogers, the chairman of the House Appropriations Committee, stated premium cigars were never intended to be in the original Tobacco Control Act. So now they're saying three things. The FDA concludes all cigars pose negative health risks. The available evidence doesn't provide a basis for FDA to conclude that premium cigars reduce the health risks to warn exclusion. And three, premium cigars are used by youth and young adults. And it says the fact that some premium cigar smokers might smoke such products infrequently or report they don't inhale does not negate the adverse health effects of tobacco smoke or demonstrate that cigars do not cause secondhand smoke-related disease in others. Therefore, we find there's no appropriate public health justification to exclude premium cigars from the scope of the final deeming rule. And they talk about the health risks of cigars. They say, they, researchers estimate that cigar smoking responsible for 9,000 premature deaths. Really? Since when? Never seen a study on that. That is an absolute load of bull. Now, every single comment that was made by the industry, every fact, every single fact was rejected. 
Basically, their response was, FDA disagrees with these comments. Here's one. Some comments argue that exempting premium cigars would set a dangerous precedent, that it's appropriate for FDA not to regulate certain tobacco products by virtue of their potential for varying effects on public health. An exemption would mislead consumers to believe that premium cigars are safe. Well, we know that in moderation, premium cigars and cigars are safe. We know that. What did the FDA say? FDA disagrees with comments. Accordingly, FDA has selected, selected option one. Many comments that supported option two argued that premium cigars don't present a public health threat significant enough to warrant regulation and that no evidence was presented that regulation of premium cigars would substantially improve the public health. What did the FDA say? The FDA disagrees with these claims, finds that the cited studies or critiques are not persuasive. Again, they ignored every single argument, everything. Here's another one. Some comments stated Cigar smokers are not at risk of becoming addicted to tobacco products based on their use of cigars. Now, I ask you this. When was the last time you saw people running outside of a building during the workday in rain or snow or hail to go light a cigar? You see cigarette smokers doing that, but you never see cigar smokers doing it. Never. When was the last time you saw a cigar smoker running off an airplane, getting to the smoking area to light a cigar? The answer is never. Why? because cigars are not addictive, period. People don't consume cigars for the nicotine. Why do cigarette smokers who, uh, who, who say, well, I'm going to change the cigars, and, we, and I always say on this show, don't. That's not the reason that you smoke cigars. So why is it that cigarette smokers don't derive satisfaction from puffing on a cigar? Because there is a small amount of nicotine. It's not a nicotine transportation device like a cigarette. So what's the response that the FDA gave to that, that cigars are not addictive? FDA agrees that all cigars are potentially addictive. And then they use this BS line that a cigar can contain as much tobacco as a whole pack of cigarettes. So therefore, they're saying that because it's got more tobacco, that it, it, it's, it's, it's the equivalent of a pack of cigarettes, which is a load of bull. But I want to get to something very striking here, very, very important. Page 185, youth and young adults use premium cigars. Proponents of option two have stated that an exemption for premium cigars is warranted because youth prefer machine-made cigars as opposed to hand-rolled cigars given their low price. However, although youth and young adults have a higher use of other mass-market cigars, studies indicate they're also using premium cigars. Really? When was the last time you saw a kid light up a $15 Monte Cristo or a $20 Davidoff on a playground? Never. It's an absolute blatant lie fabrication. But here is the kicker. And this is something that I've said. They're now using the term youth and young adults. Youth are below the age of 18. There is no problem with youth, with kids under 18 buying premium cigars. Doesn't exist. So now what they're doing is they're including young adults. Now, this is very interesting. On page 188, they say one study analyzing data from the 2012-2013 National Adult Tobacco Survey with 60,192 participants, 18 years and older. Now, again, 18 years and older, you can legally consume and purchase a cigar. You are of legal age. Participants 18 years and older found that of those smokers whose type of cigar could be identified based on the attributes of their usual product, 
19.9% were premium cigar smokers. And I say, so what? They're adults. They're 18. They're of legal age. They say more specifically, and this is the kicker, 15.1% of cigar smokers aged 18 to 29 years old who identified themselves as smoking every day, some days, or rarely, what, what, what is this? Indicated some days, every day, rarely. Isn't that a little broad? Indicated the cigar they usually smoked on those occasions was, gasp, a premium cigar. Which This is what they say in the report, which clearly illustrates that young adults are using premium cigars. Who the hell cares? Young adults, 18 to 29, they're of legal age. They're not underage. The FDA has no uh, 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 jurisdiction over adults, legal adults, 18 to 29. This is an underage consumption. So the FDA couldn't make their case on youth smoking premium cigars. So what did they do? They played the slippery slope card. They were, they, they're extremely dishonest. They're extremely slimy. They're extremely underhanded by now saying that young adults, 18 to 29, because 15 or 20% of them identify as having smoked a premium cigar, therefore, we have to include that in the regulation. That, litigate, this is gonna, that paragraph is going to blow up in the FDA's face when it comes time to litigation. Because what did I tell you multiple times? When Congress gave FDA the authority, they had to show that there were issues of underage consumption. And that's not the case in cigars, period. Does not exist. Now, again, I can go on and on and on. But all I will tell you is the FDA ignored every single lie. And now what they're trying to do is increase the sample size instead of just underage youth to young adults, 18 to 29. Again, at 18, you can vote. At 18, you can serve your country in the armed forces and give your life. So at 18, you can smoke a cigar, at least in the majority of states, legally. But now the FDA is trying to base their argument on adults of legal age, 18 to 29. That's like saying, well, we find there is a big problem with adults, with young adults enjoying a glass of wine. Adults 21 to 44. They are, they look like such horses' asses by doing this. And again, every single response to the FDA is FDA disagrees. FDA wants to oversee uh, uh, cigars with option one. FDA disagrees. FDA disagrees. They're even saying that, uh, that, that, that various forms of, of, of marketing is now being, being uh, marketed to kids 18 and under. That's baloney. There is no basis in any way, shape, or form. Does not happen. So, lieutenants, the FDA has attacked the cigar industry. They have attacked the cigar industry. They have blatantly ignored the truth and the lies, and I expose the FDA for what they are. It is the FUDA because they are screwing you, the cigar manufacturers, the cigar industry, without the benefit of KY or a pre-screwing cocktail. When we come back, we will conduct the National Cigar Litation Ceremony. Next hour, we will be joined by
Brad Free, we're going to get into a little pleasure as uh, tonight is the Kentucky Derby, the 2016 running of the Kentucky Derby at 634 this evening. Brad Free, noted uh, expert professional handicapper, columnist for the Daily Racing Forum, author of several books, will join us as we talk handicapping, race, uh, horse racing, handicapping 101 to get you set for the Derby tonight. Get the latest cigars handpicked by the General each month delivered straight to your door when you join the Cigar Dave Officers Club. For just $22.95 a month, you'll receive three premium cigars in a customized Ziploc Cigar Dave pouch. To join, go to CigarDave.com. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm -hmm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the Silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper, fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the Diamond Crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit diamondcrown.com. America is under attack. Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. Unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy. It's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. Well, one of the families that will be affected, the manufacturers, the J.C. Newman Cigar Company and Bobby and Eric Newman put out a press release Thursday with a headline, America's oldest family cigar company deeply disappointed by FDA regulation, hopes to find a way to persevere for another 121 years. And this would destroy, the FDA deeming regulation would destroy their cigar factory here in Tampa. The last remaining 
factory in the Cigar City. 135 employees, many that have been with them for 20, 30 plus years. And they, they survived the Great Depression, two world wars, the Cuban embargo, and hopefully they will survive this as well. And so I feel it's only appropriate that I enjoy a bold cigar as we're gonna go boldly after the FUDA. So I pulled out a Diamond Crown Maximus, specifically the Diamond Crown Maximus Pyramid Number no. 3. It's a torpedo cigar, beautiful looking stick. The reason I selected this because I would like to take a torpedo and I would like to fire it up the collective asses of Kathy Burwell, who's the Secretary of HHS, and the entire FUDA staff and the bureaucrats that have attacked your right to enjoy a cigar and the cigar manufacturer's right to sell a legal product. So the Diamond Crown, a full-flavored cigar, uses a magnificent, shiny and oily, sun-grown Ecuadorian EMS wrapper grown on the Oliva tobacco family's El Bajo Farm in Ecuador. Beautiful Dominican uh, binder and filler. Just a gorgeous cigar, luscious, absolutely incredible construction. The Pyramid Number no. 3, six and a half inches in length with a 50 ring gauge. And the suggested retail on this is going to be, oh, somewhere around the $15 area, but worth every single penny. So that's what I will enjoy today. The Diamond Crown Maximus Number no. 3, medium to full, lots of flavor. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. Self-sharpening, double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready to go. And you know what? I would love to take this guillotine, and I would like to go right after, again, a, a, lion, a giant guillotine that would actually fit the heads of every one of the FDA bureaucrats. Stick their head in there, boom, give them the Marie Antoinette treatment. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. Well, I've got from the Cigar Dave R&D Laboratories, I have my Cigar Dave Signature Lock and Load. Now, this is the big handheld version. I'm going to tell you something. If I strung about 20 of these together, I could torch every one of those FUDA bureaucrats, and I'd enjoy it. You know what? I'd love to give the FDA bureaucrats the ISIS treatment. Stick them in a cage and set them on fire. And if that sounds harsh, or for those of you that say, oh, I can't believe the general said it, I said it, and I stand by it. I would love to see them get the same torture they've inflicted on and will inflict on the cigar industry employees inflicted on them. I am sick and tired of the bureaucrats, the Obama administration flunkies that think that they have the right to tell you how to live your life and interfere with onerous regulations. We'll continue. Cigar, cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. Perfect cut by the general as always. And if you think I am hot, you think I'm mad, you're damn right I am. I am beyond irate. And for those of you that have not checked out the video that we posted uh, on uh, actually yesterday, my rebuttal to the FDA's deeming regulations, check that out because I will guarantee you you will see how hot under the collar I am and I was. All right, I'll puff and rotate this Diamond Crown Maximus number three. Mmm. Great draw. You know what? As pissed as I am, as ticked as I am, I'm not going to allow the FDA, the bureaucrats, to get in the way of me enjoying this Diamond Crown Maximus. And you will, re re will rise up. The industry will rise up. 
We will litigate, we will fight, and we will get rid of these bureaucrats. And let's hope that Donald Trump gets elected and he dumps all these ass clowns because that's exactly what needs to be done. We need to take the torch that I have, set it to Washington. We need a revolution because I'm getting sick and tired of the government looking at you and I, the taxpaying American citizens, as the enemy. We fund their operation. We fund those bureaucrats, and they turn around and screw us and wag their finger and laugh at us. Screw them. As I continue to puff and rotate... I am so hot, it's unbelievable. My blood pressure is 800 over 650 right now. Lieutenants will be joined by Brad Free right around the corner. Horse Race Handicapping 101 as we get ready for the Kentucky Derby, 6.34 p.m. this evening. We also have a special bonus podcast with Glenn Loop, the CEO of the Cigar Rights of America. Check online for that as well. The Cigar Dave Show podcast is presented by Diamond Crown. Sit back, relax, pour a drink, and light up a Diamond Crown as you begin the show with the general, Cigar Dave. This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Broadcasting from Humidor 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, U.S.A. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show, your weekly excursion into the world of cigars, spirits, and diversions. The cigar and pleasure-friendly hotlines are open. 877-DAVE-007. Now, fire up a cigar and pour yourself a cocktail. It's time for the General Cigar Dave. At 6.34 p.m. Eastern Time tonight, the 2016 Kentucky Derby will get underway. A grade one stakes race for three-year-old thoroughbred horses, one and a quarter mile in length, and it is run at famed Churchill Downs, Louisville, Kentucky, and it is probably the preeminent horse race, not probably, it is the preeminent horse race of the year. And we always get excited because it's an opportunity to enjoy great cigars, great mint juleps, and of course, wager, maybe make a buck or two. But before you get to make your wager, you better know what you're doing. It's like playing poker. You got to know when to hold them, when to fold them, when to pass. And we have one of the preeminent handicap, uh, handy horse handicappers in the world joining us. He has joined us before. He is the author of several books. First book is Handicapping 101, Finding the Right Horses and Making the Right Bets. Second book, Handicapping 101, A Horse Racing Primer. He is a columnist, and he is a handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum, the preeminent publication when it comes to horse racing. Based down in Southern California, joining us, Brad Free. Brad, great to have you on on Kentucky Derby Day 2016. Well, good morning, the general, and uh, it's great to great to be on your show again. We haven't spoken in a while, and this is the weekend where America becomes uh, horse players. I mean, this is a it's a great great event uh, under the twin spires at Churchill Downs. The Kentucky Derby is one of those things that really should be on every sports fan's bucket list. It is uh, an event unlike any other. The roar of the crowd, twenty horses charging down the stretch the first time. 
20 of them coming back down the stretch a second time, many of them gasping for air, and who can get a mile and a quarter? And that's usually the question on the first Saturday in May. Which of these three-year-olds can sustain their speed a mile and one quarter? This is one of the more perplexing handicapping uh, challenges that better space every year. And I love the Kentucky Derby because it's so darn tough to pick a winner. But if you do get lucky, you can make a whole lot of money. Well, it's a huge field every year. I mean, you always see they have that extended starting gate, and there's, what, like 20-some-odd horses that usually enter. So you never know what can happen, but the cream always rises to the top. Well, it usually does rise to the top. I mean, we always talk about how much chaos there can be in a 20-horse field. They have to use two starting gates at Churchill Downs, 14 horses breaking from the main gate, six more breaking from the auxiliary gate on the outside, and you would think with 20 horses, you know, dashing into the first turn, jostling for position over a racetrack on which many have never run nor even trained until the week leading up to the Kentucky Derby, that there would be a whole lot of chaos involved. But the truth of the matter is, most of the time, the best horse ends up winning the race. And we only have to go back one year for a good example of that. That was American Pharaoh, who became the first Triple Crown winner since 1978. He went out and took care of business at Churchill Downs in the Kentucky Derby, followed by winning the Preakness in Belmont. Yeah, there's a whole lot of uncertainty involved in this particular race, but favorites do win. American Pharaoh last year, California Chrome the year before, and Orb the year before that. So we've had three consecutive Kentucky Derbies in which the favorite won. And then you go back four years to 2012 when I'll have another paid $32. He was my top selection in the race. So this is a race that, yeah, there is some weird stuff that goes on, but as you said, the cream generally does rise to the top. My favorite horse of all time still, the great secretariat. Nobody else can hold a candle to him. <laughs> he was the 1973 Kentucky Derby winner. That's he was right. a magnificent racehorse, and he's, he's you know, one of, the, one of the greats of the game. There's no doubt about that. And one of my other favorite horses that never ran in the Kentucky Derby, but for appropriate reasons, Cigar, which was right around 20 years ago, 21 years ago when I started this show. Cigar was really starting to get noticed and make its run. That was another incredible racehorse. He was an amazing racehorse. You know, it was weird because he, he was bred to be a grass horse, and his connections ran him on grass in the early part of his career, but he, he just became a, kind of an ordinary horse. And then one day, trainer Bill Mott said, you know what, the way this horse trains on dirt, the way he works out over a conventional dirt surface, maybe we should give him a shot on dirt. Well, they gave Cigar a shot on dirt, and the rest is history. He went on an unbelievably long winning streak. He became, at one point, the all-time winningest, uh, all-time leading personer among thoroughbreds. He has since been passed. But he was a terrific horse, and it just goes to show you that these racehorses are always a work in progress. Horses that are supposed to be grass horses sometimes turn out to be a little bit better on dirt. Horses that are expected to be sprinters sometimes turn out to be better going a long distance of ground. So these trainers are they're kind of uh, juggling uh, the balls all the way through a horse's career. And in the case of Cigar, well, I, I can, of course you're, that's your, one of your favorite horses, Dave. Absolutely. But no doubt about that. But he was and, a terrific racehorse. He didn't get good until after the Kentucky Derby had already passed him by. Yeah, he had matured, and then he really exploded. But it didn't hurt 
that cigar, the racehorse, started to get, gain all that notoriety around the same time that I started the show. And we played his, the, the audio of the races, the calls on the show many times and still do because it's still exciting to listen to, uh, especially he had tremendous explosive speed towards the end. And, and so when we think about horse racing, uh, or horse, uh, horses that are notorious, definitely secretary, definitely cigar. Now, let's talk about handicapping. Because there are many people that will go to wager, place a bet on a horse, and they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. Many people will use the, I like that name of the horse method. I like the jockey's name. I like the way the horse looks. But there's much more to that. There really is not only science, but there's also an art form to it. And so what we want to do today is we will look at different types of ways that you can bet. And now that the technology has changed, it has really opened things up for you to be able to place your bet from your smartphone, from your tablet, from your computer. Wherever you are in the world, you can place your bet, you can watch the race, and you can collect your wagers uh, your winnings electronically. So we will continue front and center. Today it is Horse Handicapping 101. Brad Free, noted columnist and handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum, our guest as we get set for a 2016 Kentucky Derby Race Maneuvers. Download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Android, Kindle, and iOS so you can listen to the general anytime, anywhere. The Cigar Dave mobile app is presented by Diamond Crown. Search Cigar Dave in the App Store today. In the fertile fields of the Connecticut River Valley, there is still one cigar brand who grows their own Connecticut shade wrappers, Monte Cristo. Prized for its unique silky texture, this exquisite tobacco has now been used to craft a cigar worthy of its name the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut. Building on the legacy of the beloved Monte Cristo White Series, this excellent medium to full-bodied cigar is rich, flavorful, and complex. Crafted with only the finest vintage 2008 wrapper leaves, the Monte Cristo White Vintage Connecticut cigar has subtle notes of spices, vanilla, and hazelnuts. Packaged in a gorgeous handcrafted box, these exceptional cigars are available now at your local tobacconist. Pick up a Monte Cristo white vintage today and experience the spirit of the valley. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause cancers of the mouth and throat, even if you do not inhale. The brand new Cigar Dave mobile app for both iPhone and Android devices is finally out. If you go right now, either to the iTunes store or the Google Play store, Search for Cigar Dave and download our brand new app. It allows you to listen to the show live on your mobile device. You can listen to all of our podcasts. The last 10 podcasts are always available. Cigar Dave Daily Briefings. Additionally, it gives you direct access within the app to our Twitter page, our Facebook page. We also have the ability for you to call the show during the show right from the app, as well as send me a text message and an email. We also put in a couple of bonus items. You can get a weather uh, uh, alert as well as an alarm clock. It is the brand-new Cigar Dave mobile app. You can listen to the Cigar Dave show anytime, 
any place, anywhere. Go right now to the iTunes Store or Google Play Store and download the brand new Cigar Dave mobile app. Great cigars to great scotch. This is America's five-star pleasure paradise. The Cigar Dave Show. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigar is. It's tough, but I'm going to go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent, and smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I got to tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree. But guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Kentucky home always played before the start of the Kentucky Derby every year and we get set for Kentucky Derby race maneuvers by conducting horse race handicapping 101 maneuvers and joining us once again Brad Free from Southern California columnist and noted handicapper for the daily racing form Brad what uh, track are you based out of Santa Anita is that your home track Santa Anita is my home track. I also go to Los Alamitos in Orange County and Del Mar Racetrack down near San Diego. Dave, I love the, the, hearing that song, My Old Kentucky Home, and it just brings back two wonderful memories. The very first Kentucky Derby that I went to was in 1988, and, and I, you know, I was a young reporter working for a small newspaper in Pasadena. The horses came out onto the track for the 88 Kentucky Derby. That was the race won by the Philly winning colors. And they started playing my old Kentucky home. And as a lifelong horse player, I was a little unprepared for the emotional jolt that uh, that, that song gave me. It, it, just, it just sends chills down my spine. And then about 16 years later, my wife and I went back uh, to Churchill Downs for the 2004 Kentucky Derby. And by then, I'm you know kind of an old, jaded horse player. And once again, the horses came out onto the track. It was my wife Maureen's first uh, trip to the Kentucky Derby. And they started playing that song again. And boy, oh boy, once again, that my eyes welled up with tears. And it was just a great, great experience. I love to hear that song, My Old Kentucky Home. You know, you're going to make me break out my, my southern Kentucky accent. Here in Kentucky, where we enjoy the mint juleps and the tradition and all the history that goes here in Louisville, we are ever so excited to have you, Brad, here on the Cigar Dave show. Uh, you always just, it, it's like you have to break into that when you start hearing that song. But there's no question that, of course, you go to the uh, the the, uh, the Preakness in Maryland where I used to live, and they play, uh, what is it, uh, Maryland, My Maryland. Right. And, and, uh, then, and we've got all those songs, by the way, so you're going to get far more emotional as this hour goes on. But, Brad, it. let's talk about horse race handicapping. First thing. 
when you look at a horse, I would say history should probably be the first thing you want to look. What has the horse done in the past? Well, that's it. That's the whole genesis of handicapping. Thoroughbred racehorses are athletes, just like a baseball team, a football team, a basketball team. And uh, these athletes have idiosyncrasies and preferences, uh, you know, just like the human athletes do. Horses have preferences. What surface they like to run on. We talked about Cigar. He was just okay on grass, became a monster on dirt. What distance is the best distance at which they run, sprinting or a long distance race? So these horses, over the course of their career, they develop these idiosyncrasies and habits, and horses typically do what they have done in the past. And the whole the whole premise of handicapping is that horses are creatures of habit. They will repeat what they have done in the past within reason. And then you also have to factor in the, uh, the, the improvement arc as a horse develops and matures, how much better can they get? A horse's history is the entire reason why people like myself believe that you can still make money wagering on horses by identifying their idiosyncrasies, determining what they do best, and also what a horse, how a race shapes up for this particular horse. There are four basic elements in handicapping, and they're easy. Speed, how fast a horse runs. Class, what class level is this horse proven at? What is the current condition of the horse? Is the horse in good form right now or off form? And finally, pace, the tempo of the race. If a horse is a speed horse and he's facing five other speed horses, all six of them are going to be compromised. So speed, class, condition, and pace are the building blocks of handicapping, and those are the things that a handicapper horse player should look at, the history of a horse's racing career. And you will find that, of course, on the daily racing form. I pulled out an old daily racing form, and we'll go through some of the actual items that are in there. But you mentioned speed, class, condition, pace. So we're looking at the horse. How much impact does the jockey, does the human factor have on the race? Well, when, once a trainer gives a jockey a leg up, I mean, the jockey becomes the most important uh, guy out there. But that is only for the next, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes till they get to the post and run the race. Jockeys are important only in that a, a good jockey will stay out of a horse's way. A jockey that might be a little less talented often will steer a horse into trouble, inadvertently, of course, but a, a good top jockey, a guy like uh, Mike Smith or Gary Stevens or Javier Castellano, they will give the horse every opportunity to show his or her potential. A good jockey cannot make a horse run any faster, but a bad jockey can make a horse run slower by misguided strategy. So we've looked then so far at the horse. Got to look at the speed, the class, the condition, the pace. Do we look at breeding at all? Well, yeah, you certainly can look at breeding, and that's one of the that's one of the big mysteries of of this game, and specifically the 2016 Kentucky Derby, because the favorite in the race, a horse by the name of Nyquist, he's started seven times. He has won all seven starts, including the Breeders' Cup Juvenile last year at two years old, and both starts this year, including the Florida Derby. His his breeding, his pedigree would suggest 
that a mile and one quarter is going to be a real reach for him. And the reason it's a stretch is because he's sired by a stallion named Uncle Mo. Uncle Mo was a brilliantly fast horse who, once they got out to a mile and one-eighth and beyond, he was found a little bit wanting. So Nyquist, a son of Uncle Mo, who was distance-challenged, in my opinion, and many others as well, well, Nyquist will be stretching out to a mile and one quarter, and that's uncharted territory for the entire field. But there are some in this race who are bred for the distance. In the case of Nyquist, maybe not quite so much. Professional handicapper and columnist for the Daily Racing Forum, Brad Free uh, joins us on Horse Handicapping 101. And you mentioned Nyquist. Interesting backstory behind that, that horse. The owner, J. Paul Redham, who won the Derby uh, with a horse uh, I'll have another back in 2012, is a huge Detroit Red Wings fan. So he named the horse after forward Gustav Nyquist. He's also named horses after players with the last name Lindstrom, Hudler, and Zetterberg. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you can do that. And when you have as much money as J. Paul Redham does, you can do just about anything. He's been a great supporter of uh, sport out in California for a number of years. He made a, a good portion of his money uh, by starting up uh, – uh, in the financial services industry, Cash Call is his is his company. Um, but yeah, he's been a, a, a hockey fan for his entire life, and he reached a, a level in his career where you know he can buy good horses. A Nyquist cost four hundred thousand dollars, buy good horses and name them after very good hockey players. And Nyquist, not only is he a good hockey player, he's also a very good racehorse. Uh, apparently so, as he's one of the one of the odds-on favorites uh, for the Derby. Now, let's take a look at a, another bit of information that you have in the daily racing form. It's called the buyer speed figure. What is that? Well, that's exactly what I was referring to when I talked about the importance of the element of speed. A buyer speed figure is the numerical uh, translation or equivalent of how fast a horse runs. And without getting bogged down in all the technicalities, in the case of Nyquist, he earned a 94 buyer speed figure last time out winning the Florida Derby. In his previous start, he earned a 101 buyer speed figure in a seven furlong race at Santa Anita. His last two buyer speed figures are good solid numbers, but the highest of those two happened to be in, in a sprint race. So what the buyer speed figure does is take the final time of the race, factor in the speed of the racing surface. Horse uh, racetracks sometimes get quick, sometimes they slow down. They factor in the track variant and produce a speed figure that tells a horse player at a glance how fast a horse ran in a particular race. In the case of Nyquist, a 94 buyer figure last out in the Florida Derby was just okay. It was not great by any stretch of the imagination. So obviously the higher the speed figure, the better for the horse. That's exactly right. It, uh, there are other speed figure services, including one that I use uh, that goes by the name of Thoroughgraph, in which the lower the number, the better it is. But it's the same, it's the same premise. They take into account the speed of the racetrack, uh, put all the numbers together and, and come up with, with a particular number. Buyer speed figures and thoroughgraph, they both agree on this. Nyquist's best number was his sprint race two starts back compared to his route race last out. Brad Free, author of several books on horse race handicapping, 
noted columnist for the Daily Racing Forum and expert handicapper. Our guest for Horse Race Handicapping 101. When we come back, we'll get into what kind of wagers to make, and we'll show you where you can make those wagers. Never miss a minute of the show when you download the Cigar Dave mobile app for Apple, Android, and Kindle devices. You can listen to our 24-7 continuous stream of the latest show or download the recent podcasts to listen to anytime on your mobile device. Get the Cigar Dave mobile app in the App Store. Search Cigar Dave. The journey of Jarguera began with a very special yet delicate Cuban seed. The Grupo de Maestros took their rare tobacco to the privileged farmlands of western Honduras, where they began a five-year program to combine its sweet flavors and distinctively aromatic qualities with the robustness of Criollo 98. The result was Jarguera, a genetic hybrid tobacco containing the best qualities of each. Grown on a single state containing rich soil and ideal weather conditions, Jarguera features flavors of coffee and chocolate with hints of nutmeg and cinnamon. Shade and sun-grown versions of this exceptional tobacco are now used exclusively in one cigar. Jarguera H. Upman. Experience Jarguera H. Upman. Now at your local tobacconist and visit jarguera.com to learn more. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Enjoy the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club now, and you'll receive three premium cigars every month. Membership is just $22.95, including shipping and handling. Join by going to CigarDave.com now. That's CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. Despot's heel is on thy shore, Maryland, my Maryland. His touch is at thy temple door, Maryland, my Maryland. Avenge the patriotic gore that fleck the streets of Baltimore, and be the battle queen of yore, Maryland, my Maryland. The second race in the Triple Crown, of course, is the Preakness Stakes held at Pimlico Racecourse in Baltimore, Maryland. My uh, former residence after college for three years and uh, went to many Preakness parties while I was there. Quite the, quite the place to be, the social scene. Rejoining us right now, Brad Free, who is a noted columnist and expert handicapper, professional handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum, joining us from his Southern California handicapping cave, if you will. And we're talking horse handicapping 101 as we get set for the Kentucky Derby at 634 tonight. Brad, we uh, ended up uh, just, or we, we reviewed a little bit of what to look for in, in the history of a horse, speed, class, condition, pace. But I'm looking at a daily racing form right now, and there's a whole bunch of numbers and dates, and basically starting from the upper left, it shows the the position the horse is in, the name of the horse, it has who the owner is, and there's all sorts of information, and it you could probably it's almost encyclopedic what's in here, but basically it looks at its last 
number of races, whether it's five races, uh, 10 races, and goes through exactly the time of the race, the pace, some notes about the rates, its winnings. So you really get a good idea of the history of the horse. Well, the daily race inform past performances will provide the information that any horse player basically needs to make an, an intelligent wager on the horse. It shows at a glance when a horse ran, where he or she ran, how far he ran, where he was during the position of the race, where he finished, who rode him, how much weight the horse carried, who he ran against, what his uh, odds were, and also his career earnings and his, his lifetime record. So just the, the past performances, that's the, the heart and soul of, of horse race handicapping. They show at a glance what a horse's recent history is. And based on that history, a person can make a wager based on how fast a horse ran, who he or she ran against, class, the condition of the horse, whether the horse is in top form or not, and the pace of the race. So that those past performances really give a snapshot of an ent- horse's entire career. Now, before we get into the various types of bets one can place on horse racing, let's look at odds. You are not wagering against the house as you do when you are at a casino in Vegas or or anywhere else in the country around the world. You're betting into a paramutual pool, which basically means you're betting amongst ourselves or all the other people that are placing bets. That's exactly right. Everybody makes a wager on on the horse that they like or the odds that they find attractive. The racing the racetrack takes a cut of that entire pool and then redistributes the remainder of the pool to the winning bettors. You're not betting against the house at all. You're betting against the guy standing next to you or the guy uh, logged onto his computer uh, down the street. So the, the house really has no stake in the outcome of the race. I think if you press them on it, they would say, yeah, we like favorites to win because we want more bettors to win. When a long shot wins, a, the large portion of that pool goes to a very small segment of the horse playing population. But you're right. You're betting against the other guy, not against the racetrack. Now, when we talk about odds, it's always based on a $2 win ticket, meaning you're betting $2 for a horse to win to come in first place. So let's look at some odds. So basically, when we say a, let's say, an even money, a one-to-one odd, what does that mean? A horse at even money, if you put $2 to win on an even money shot and that horse wins, you're going to get back your original wager plus another $2, even money. You win exactly as much as you put up. With a horse that, let's take Nyquist, for example, his odds are 3 to 1. His morning line is 3 to 1. And if he starts at 3 to 1 and if he wins the race, a $2 win bet on Nyquist will get you back $8. That's your $2 original stake, and then plus a multiple of three, three times two is six. So two plus six equals $8. Three to one equals an $8 payoff. Now, a lot of times with favorites, with heavy betting on favorites, especially in previous Kentucky Derbies where there was a clear odds on favorite, Mm -hmm. the horse would go off at three to five or two to five. Now, that is not a great return on your bet. No, it's not a great return at all, and it happens a lot. It happens often, probably less frequently in the Kentucky Derby because the field is so evenly matched. 
it's a large field and the money gets spread out. But sometimes in smaller fields out here in California, it happens quite a bit. Small fields with a horse that is a, a, a complete and total standout, the horse could go off, you know, just for example, at two to five. And two to five odds, in this case, you, you would bet, if you bet $5, you'd get back your original stake of five plus $2. So your $5 win bet would get you back seven bucks. Big deal. Those are the types of races and wagers that personally I steer clear of. I want to bet a little with a chance to win a lot as opposed to the other way around, betting a lot with a chance to win a little. Now let's look at the basics of wagering The in its simplest form. Three different types of bets, a win, a place, and a show. What are those? Well, a win bet, your horse has to win in order to cash a bet. If you bet to place, that wager wins if the horse finishes first or second. Finally, there's the show bet. All your horse has to do is finish first, second, or third in order to win that bet. So why doesn't everybody just bet to show? The reason is because there are three horses that win the show bet because there are three horses that finish in the money a place bet the money is divided into two directions because there are two horses that finish first and or second and then of course the win bet pays more than place or show because all the money goes to the the ticket holders of the one winning horse most of the time i would not advocate place and show wagering the kentucky derby happens to be an exception to the rule because the field is so big, 20 horses will run, and sometimes the place and show payoffs can be very, very uh, lucrative. So this is the one ex exception to the rule where an across-the-board wager, say $2 to win, place, and show, that's $6 altogether, is actually not a bad wager. All right, now we move in from the basics, the win, place, and show, to what we call the exotics or combination wagers. And let me give you some of the terms, and you can define them. Probably the one we hear most often, especially if you watch Jeopardy, the TV show is Daily Double. Yeah, a Daily Double is stringing together the winners of two consecutive races. And one of the more popular wagers uh, over the last few years at Churchill Downs has been the Oaks Derby Double, the Kentucky Oaks, which was run on Friday into the Kentucky Derby, and all you have to do to win that wager is pick the winners of two consecutive races. It's hard enough sometimes to pick only one winner. That now you're now you're trying to uh, pick two consecutive winners, and if you happen to be right, you get paid off in spades. It can be a very uh, nice return for a two-dollar wager. Daily double, two consecutive uh, winners. Then we go to the exacta. Exacta, all you have to do there is pick the one, two finishers in one race in order. That is, you have to pick the winner and also the horse that finishes second. Once again, it's a more difficult wager to win than a straight win bet, and therefore the return is higher. Then we go to the trifecta, where you have to select the first, second, third finishers in a race in their exact order. The superfecta which you select four horses in one race to finish, first, second, third, and fourth. Then there's a pick three and a pick six. So let's talk about the, the uh, a pick six, because you hit a pick six. And this was uh, back, I'm trying to remember when this was, uh, what, about five years ago or so? It was February 2012. <laughs> February of 2012, 
You nailed all six winners in a pick six. $20 ticket. You won how much, Brad? Well, it's $43,000 payoff. It was uh, it was a very good uh, Sunday afternoon of racing at Santa Anita. And betting the pick six is really, it might sound strange for me to say this, but it's uh, generally speaking, it's not a good bet for uh, smaller, uh, less pocketed horse players like myself. I don't go out there with $1,000 to the racetrack that I can lose. I'm a very conservative wage uh, horse player, but every now and then I'll take a swing at the fences. And that particular Sunday at Santa Anita, I happened to love the card. There was one race in which I had no clue, and so I used five horses. There was another race in which I had just a semi-clue, and I used two horses. And then there were four other races where I used one horse in each race. Well, the, all the chips fell just perfectly. That was a, a $20 wager, 10 combinations at $2 a piece. Everything fell perfectly, and that $20 bet ended up paying $43,000. Wow, and you had to actually pick the winners of six consecutive races, which that's correct. is astonishing. Well, it's, it's, it's very tough to do, and that's why sometimes you need to spend a lot of money. The, the big pick-six players... You know, they'll use two or three horses in each leg of the sequence. But once you start doing the math and multiplying the number of combinations that you need to cover, that wager becomes very expensive. And it's highly unusual for anyone to win $43,000 on a $20 bet. But my opinion that day happened to be spot on. And uh, it was it was quite a quite a fun afternoon. Now, one other thing that we should say is when you bet some of these exotics, the exact or the trifecta, uh, you can also do what's called a box. Talk about that. That's right. You can do an exacta box, and that's basically just giving yourself a little bit of backup. An exacta, you have to pick the horses in order, first place finisher and second place finisher. But if you box the two, then you're saying, well, they can finish in either order. Number one comes in over number two, or number two comes in over number one. It increases the cost of the wager by a multiple of two, but it gives you the the luxury of having your top two horses finish one, two in either order. And that's how most people play the exacta. It's not how I play it, but that's how many people play the exacta with an exacta box. A two horse exacta box for two dollars would cost you a total of four dollars. A three-horse exacta box, $2 base bet, would cost you $12. And with three horses in an exacta box, obviously you have a better chance of having the one-two finishers somewhere among those three. So we've told you uh, what to look for in a horse, the history of the horse, a little bit of handicapping. We've given you the basics of the type of wagers, a win-play show. We've talked about odds. We've talked about the exotics. When we come back with Brad Free, columnist and expert professional handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum, we will talk about what to say when you go to place your wager, how to place your wager, and also we'll look at sites that you can place your wagers electronically. You don't even have to go to a racetrack. You do not even have to go to off-track betting. You can sit by your pool using your smartphone or your tablet or your PC. You can watch the race. You can place your wagers, and we will talk about that with uh, Brad Free as we conduct Horse Racing Handicapping 101. We get set for the Kentucky Derby at 634 Eastern Time this evening. The final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. <laughs> 
You, you need to add some alpha to your Facebook news feed. By following The General, you'll get the latest intel in the world of cigars, info on the show each week, and see what The General is smoking. Click like at facebook.com slash Cigar Dave. difficult and challenging time when the government is trying to outlaw premium cigars and take away the art form of enjoying a beautiful cigar, we decided to introduce our brand called Prohibition. This cigar is going to be the bootlegger's dream. A gorgeous cigar made in Esteli, Nicaragua, triple cap using a broadleaf wrapper and a Mexican wrapper from the San Andreas Valley. It's got Nicaraguan tobaccos from the Nicaraguan valleys of Esteli and Jalapa. It's rich, it's complex, it's got some spice, some white pepper, and a ton of sweetness. Full of flavor, this cigar is one that you're going to want to enjoy, and you're going to bootleg. And that's why it's called Prohibition. Enjoy it. I promise you're going to love it. The Cigar Dave Show. Your passport to unabashed pleasure. Hey, I need to hit the bank before we get on the road. Is it your bank across town? No, no. It's right here. Uh, that's a tobacconist. Yeah, I need to pick up some annuities and currency. Did you knock your head really hard recently? I'm picking up The Banker by H. Upman. Annuity and currency are two sizes. You know I don't understand all that financial mumbo-jumbo. And The Banker is a new cigar made with rich tobaccos inspired by the original H. Upman that was created in 1844 by the Upman brothers, who were bankers by trade. It was given as unique present for their most important clients, and the prize cigar was stored in a vault under lock and key. The only thing my banker has ever given me was a calendar with pictures of his dog dressed as pinup models. It sounds like you need a new banker. Only if you're talking about the cigar. Purchase the banker by H. Upman at your local tobacconist today and look for ways you can crack the code to the vault of the banker by H. Upman. Surgeon General Warning. Cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. The chairman of the board, the final and concluding race of the Triple Crown is, of course, the Belmont Stakes. At Belmont Racetrack in New York. Appropriate that we have songs for all three of the great races of the Triple Crown. Brad Free, the uh, noted columnist for the Daily Racing Forum and author of numerous books on handicapping and professional handicapper, rejoins us. Horse Handicapping 101. Uh, 101, our final uh, couple of minutes here today on the Cigar Dave Show as we get set for the Kentucky Derby tonight, 6.34 p.m. Now, Brad, let's take a look at how to place a wager if someone does go to the track. And I'll give you two examples. I want to bet $2 on a horse to win. And let's just say it's the number four horse. How do we do that? What do you say? Well, you go up to the betting window and you say $2 to win number four, race 12 at Churchill Downs. It's that easy. And, and the case of uh, the Kentucky Derby on Saturday, number four is a horse by the name of Mo Tom. He happens to be a 20 to one long shot. So you would say 20 to win number four, Race 12, Churchill Downs, and that is it. It's as simple as that. All right, now let's move on to something a little bit more exotic. We talked about the exotics. Let's do the trifecta, where I have to pick at first, second, and third. However, 
I want to box it, so I don't care what order they come in. How do I do that? Well, you, the trifecta minimum is generally $1, so you'd go up to the window and say $1 trifecta box 456, race 12 at Churchill Downs. $1 tri box 456. That way you, that you, win that, you win that bet. It's that easy if the 4, 5, and 6 finish in the top three in any order. Now, technology has changed racing dramatically and wagering on racing because before you'd have to go either to the track or when I lived up in Buffalo, I'd go to off-track betting. And when I was in high school, my great history teacher, Earl Friedman, taught me how to wager at Buffalo Raceway where the, uh, the, harness racing, the, pon- uh, the harness racing horses would go off, and I enjoyed that. And I will never forget one time my mother saw my car double parked in front of the off-track betting uh, one school afternoon, and she said, was that your car I saw double parked in front of the OTB? I said, yeah, I had to collect my wager at lunchtime. And she's like, oh, okay, good. And that was the truth. So not only did my history teacher teach me about history, the great Earl Friedman, may he rest in peace, also taught me about math. And it is easier than ever to wager because there's numerous online sites. There's DRF Bets, which is affiliated with Daily Racing Forum. There's Twin Spires, which is owned by Churchill Downs. There's Express Bet. There's U.S. Racing. So... All of these sites, Brad, very easy. You set up an account, and how does it go from there? Yeah, the Internet basically changed uh, the entire complexion of the sport of thoroughbred horse racing. It, it, it kind of killed live attendance because a lot of folks would just as soon spend uh, the afternoon at home on their laptop betting in the privacy of their home office. And with these uh, account wagering firms that you mentioned, Dave, including DRF Bets, they're, they're referred to as advanced deposit wagering companies, ADWs. And by advanced deposit wagering, what that means is you send this company, uh, let's say $100, and you can do it by credit card, debit card, whatever, and set up an account. You have that money in your account already, and you bet on your account. That's the advanced deposit, and then you wager against that advanced deposit. With DRF bets, you set up an account, and then you just you can go online. You set uh, and you can make any of the the wagers that we have talked about over the last hour or so. You know, win bet it, every possible wager that is available at the racetrack is also available on these ADW companies, and you can watch the races on your on your computer, your home computer. You can bet in the privacy of your own home, and uh, it's it's for as far as convenience goes. It's super, super convenient, but like I said, it kind of it kind of took away a little bit of the the nuance and the fun and thrill of being out at a racetrack with a whole bunch of other people that are all screaming and yelling for a different horse. So it's all done electronically. You can you can and now with DRF bets, I'm sure you can you can. By the way, Daily Racing Forum, which I remember picking up way back when, you can get it online now. I think you can get it right to your your tablet. You can read it online, and you have a column that's in the Daily Racing Forum, correct? Yes, I do. I, I have a, a handicapping column every day. I, my my main um, uh, circuit is here in Southern California, and I, I write a, a daily analysis on who I think is going to win the races at. Santa Anita or Los Alamitos or Del Mar. And you're right. You can get all that stuff online or you can go down to the local local uh, liquor store newsstand and pick up a hard copy. But as I mentioned earlier, the Internet has just 
changed the complexion of society and journalism specifically. You don't buy newspapers anymore. You go online and log on to your daily racing form account to get all the news about thoroughbred horse racing and all the analysis from guys like myself, uh, Mike Welsh in Florida, Dave Grenick back in New York, Jay Pribman out here in California, all of our expert analysts and reporters, their content is available online at drf.com. And one of the things I think just like when you're, if you're in this, in the stock market, you invest in the stock market, or you you are uh, you play in the casinos. You don't have to wager every race. There are times when I've gone to the track. I remember where there were five, six races where I just looked and said, "There's nothing that stands out, or there's not enough information," and I just passed on them. There, believe me, there are plenty of races where I am mystified as well, and those are races that you just sit and watch, and maybe you learn something. Maybe you pick up a little tidbit about a horse in that race that you can use some information for the horse's next start. But there are many, many races that are run that are just un they're unbettable in an intelligent sense. Yeah, you can make a bet on any race you want, but there are many races that you look at the past performances of the horses and you go, they all look the same. I have no idea who's going to win. And so you just sit and watch and enjoy it as a, as a non-biased fan. Okay, real quickly, Brad, give us the three or four horses. we got about 30 seconds to go. What horses to look for tonight in the Kentucky Derby? Well, I like, num I like number 19, Brody's Cause. He's a 12-to-1 long shot. He's been a top colt ever since last year. He won the Bluegrass Stakes last time out. He's a big price at 12-to-1. And I also like Exaggerator, romping winner of the Santa Anita Derby last time out. He's listed at 8-to-1. So you can also bet two horses to win. I wouldn't be at all opposed to betting Brody's cause and exaggerator both of them across the board play the exacta box and uh, we'll see what happens but Brody's you cause heard it from Brad Free Brad we appreciate you joining us Brad Free from the Daily Racing Forum Cigar Day the General saying Mayor Humidor always be full Mayor Cutter always be sharp Mayor Ashby extra extra long Semper Delictate show always pleasure long live the alpha enjoy the Kentucky Derby this is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. Long-ass greetings and salutations from Command Center Alpha Humidor 1A. It is the General Cigar Dave, America's Alpha Male. And joining us now for a special bonus podcast edition of the Cigar Dave Show on this very tumultuous week as the FDA has dropped a nuclear bomb on the cigar industry is Glenn Loop, longtime friend and executive director of the Cigar Rights of America. Glenn, on Thursday morning, after two years of working with the FDA, informing the FDA, submitting comments by the industry, by the associations, by consumers, giving the FDA fact they chose to ignore every single argument and statement made by the aforementioned groups, and are treating cigars not like cigarettes, but worse than cigarettes. Well, that's exactly right. And on that morning, they dropped 499 pages of regulations on everything that they have not regulated to date. And of those 499 pages, 30 pages put a bullet to the head of the premium cigar industry. Well, I'm looking at those pages because it's, uh, I'll be specific here. And again, the lamestream media will never report this, but uh, we as cigar connoisseurs are intelligent and do our research. So from page 174 to page number 204, 
It deals with regulation of cigars and selection of option one. And as I stated on the show earlier today, the FDA back in 2009, Congress stipulated that in order to subject a product to regulation, the FDA must demonstrate that the specific product possesses issues of underage consumption and health and mortality impact through addiction, none of which is associated with Yet the FDA blatantly disregarded every bit of evidence. And as I look through these 35-some-odd pages, I mean, everything they do, FDA disagrees, FDA disagrees, FDA disagrees, FDA disagrees. They didn't even, they, it's, almost, it's a slap in the face. It's so blatantly uh, a one-sided, and they didn't even do any research on this. Well, they use the highly scientific term, not persuasive. And every time they tried to attack our health quality data, and we went to great pains in our public comment submission when we filed our public comment with the FDA, uh, we retained an expert in the field, Dr. Chris Coggins, a board-certified toxicologist. We had demonstrated that there is not one definitive study on planet Earth on the ad- specifically on the adverse health impact of scars. And as you noted, they totally chose to ignore every piece of evidence that we put in front of them. When you watch the debates on con- of Congress on the original Tobacco Control Act, as you just mentioned, the entire debate revolved around two subjects, youth access and chemical addiction. We went to great pains to demonstrate how those are not applicable to premium handmade cigars. So what did they do? They move the goalpost. They said, oh, America's youth are no longer 13 to 16-year-olds or 13 to 17-year-olds. We're now going to define youth as 18 to 29, which is absolutely ridiculous when you think you can be 25 years old, 21 years old, and not walk into a premium handmade cigar shop without being caught up in some statistical malaise by the Centers for Disease Control and the FDA. Well, you hit it right on the head. They couldn't prove the association of underage smoking with youth, meaning under 18. However, they now have a new term, young adults. Now, on page 188, and I I talked about this extensively, they refer to the 2012-2013 National Adult Tobacco Survey, the NATS. Just over 60,000 participants, 18 years and older. Now, that alone, right there, stop. 18 years and older, they're adults. They are of legal age. And what I find interesting is that at the age of 18, you can go out and serve your country, die for your country. You can vote. The same people that uh, are the bureaucrats with the FDA and the Obama administration, if somebody proposed raising the age of voting to 21, they would have a, a nervous breakdown. They'd go into immediate cardiac arrest. Yet someone that wants to enjoy a cigar at a legal age that's a problem. And it says that participants 18 years and older, they found that those smokers whose type of cigar could be identified based on the attributes of their usual product, 19.9% were premium cigar smokers. Then they say more specifically, 15.1% of cigar smokers aged 18 to 29 who identified themselves as smoking every day, some days or rarely, indicated the cigar they usually smoked on those occasions was a premium cigar, which clearly illustrates that young adults are using premium cigars. That's not underage consumption. So my, my reply is, who the fuck cares? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And they pick and choose and cherry-pick data. They use antiquated studies. 
they they I've I've often wondered how in the world anybody gets a job in statistical analysis with either the FDA or the Centers for Disease Control. This is obviously a setup, an absolute political, legislative, and bureaucratic setup by the FDA in order to bring us under their domain. You know, when they put out the option two originally, we questioned their sincerity. In other words, we think that a lot of that inclusion in the original uh, issuance of the deeming rule came because of the political pressure as a result of our legislation to exempt. You know, and that legislation to exempt premium cigars was originally filed on April 15, 2011. And since that time, 289 members of Congress uh, and 26 members of the Senate have signed on to that legislation. 72 of those voted for the original Tobacco Control Act which means 72 of them, principally Democrats, realized that premium handmade cigars were not what Congress told them to do, and they decided to totally ignore that intent of Congress. Well, Glenn, what's also interesting here is uh, on page, let me get the correct page here, um, 191. Actually, 190. It says, some comments argued that premium cigars don't pose youth access issues because manufacturers and retailers do not market them to youth. And age verification is already required at the point of sale, limiting access to adults only. They relied in part on FDA's statements in the 96 Tobacco Youth Access Rule in which FDA stated there was insufficient evidence of youth cigar use to warrant cigar regulation. What was the FDA's response? FDA disagrees. The agency's statement regarding the availability of evidence to support cigar regulation was made 18 years ago and based on the evidence available at the time. Evidence has become available since 1996 indicating that youth and young adults use cigars, including premium cigars. Well, first of all, there's no new evidence. Youth are not using cigars, but now they lump in that young adults again and again. I say young adults are of legal age. This is a joke. Well, listen, we're, our whole point here has been about the number one subject that the FDA always refuses to discuss with us and to really refuse to discuss publicly, and that's enforcement. And as you well know, one, America's youth are not walking into premium handmade cigar shops. They're not walking into Davidoff in Tampa. They're not walking into to Tampa Humidor or Edwards. It, it's all people of... of our aging, and they have totally to ignore the one subject that comes into play on this subject, and that is enforcement. And this is current data. This is data that you and I could go to their FDA website and pull up right now that says since they've had regulatory power over cigarettes and smokeless products, they've conducted 400,000 compliance inspections, 400,000 in all 50 states, and there's been a 95% compliance rate. That means this whole notion of youth access to tobacco, much less premium cigars, is a total fiction. Well, later on on the same page, it says, many comments stated that the majority of cigar users are occasional smokers, two to cigars to six cigars per week. They don't inhale. They also indicated that premium cigar use does not lead to addiction. We know that's fact. And, and the clear statement is you don't see people running outside an office building in the middle of the day when it's raining or snowing or sleeting or hailing, running to light a cigar. So what's the FDA response? Would you like to take a guess, Glenn? The <laughs> FDA disagrees. It says that patterns of use preclude premium cigar users from experiencing the negative health effects of these products 
All cigars produce to- uh, toxic cigar smoke. All this BS. It's it's nonsense. Every single argument that was made, they completely ignored. And I have got to believe, I have got to believe that the industry, and I know the industry is, I, everybody I've talked to is beyond irate. This was a nuclear, this is the equivalent of five Hiroshima Nagasaki nuclear bombs dropped on the cigar industry after years of working with the House, the Senate, years of trying to inform the FDA, and it just shows you. To the FDA and to the bureaucrats, the ends justifies the means. And I I say this all the time because here we have they couldn't make a case that underage youth was buying and, and consuming premium cigars. So what did they do? They basically blatantly lied and then include a new category, young adults, legal people who can buy cigars. And again, the ends justifies the means. So they'll do anything they have to do to advance their cause, which is their moralistic view that they want ultimate, complete prohibition, period. That's their end game. There's no question in my mind. Well, that's exactly right. And I'll tell you what's so disconcerting about this. I mean, to, to be very public and, and candid with you is we met with Mitch Seller from the FDA two weeks ago. We went out to the National Association of Tobacco Outlets uh, conference. We had a private meeting, as did the NATO board, and, and our friends at the Cigar Association of America had a meeting with him. And granted, he could not share much because of the pending rule. But we, you know, I had in the in the meeting uh, Robbie Levin, the president of Ashton, uh, Jim Young, the president of, of Davidoff, uh, Nish Patel was with us representing Rocky Patel Premium Cigars. <clears throat> and if body language and certain, you know, language nuances were any indicator at all we again I, I, obviously naive and fooling ourselves we thought we'd made some progress just like we thought we'd made a lot of progress with with the white house office of management and budget in the course of meetings over the last six months and now we realize why you know when we objected to the original proposition of a ten dollar price point to define a premium cigar uh when he said probably not our finest work well we realize now it's a non-issue because they had no intention to exempt. Right. And it, this is an agency that's bent on one thing. And I'm not being overly dramatic by saying this. It's committed to the prohibition of all things tobacco. Their obsession with the subject of nicotine at all costs, no matter what the economic costs, the, the social costs, the freedom costs, they really don't fundamentally care. Glenn, I stated in the show earlier today that the FDA bureaucrats and the this admin, the Barack Obama administration and all the cronies that are in the administration, they view the American taxpaying citizens as the enemy. And I don't believe we have ever had a presidential administration that looked down upon the taxpayers as enemies. We're, we're almost as if we are a foreign uh, enemy power. This is how they look at us, and it's very clear how they look at the cigar industry. They don't care who they put out of business. They don't care who they affect. They're cushy in their bureaucratic jobs for the next 20, 30 years up in Washington, D.C., and it, it is, I, I, I'm astounded to me how blatantly they ignored every single bit of evidence, which leads us to litigation. Because there are going to be lawsuits flying all over the place. And this will destroy, before we talk about potential litigation, I want to look at some of the other aspects. Because some of the key elements 
Number one, 30% of boxes now, the ornate artistic boxes, will have to have an ugly warning label on it. Uh, you're going to see now that manufacturers under this deeming rule can't hand out samples. In fact, my understanding is retailers can't even get a free sample from a manufacturer. They're going to have to buy it. Is that correct? Well, that's correct. And I'll tell you what, I, and I'm glad this is on a podcast where you said maybe time's not a, a, as big of a factor, but I just wanted, to, <clears throat> if it's all right with you, I think your listeners ought to hear how an American bureaucracy describes sampling and puts this into a format that this will become law. This will become the law of the land if, if we don't contest it and fight it on all fronts. But let's just listen to the language of a bureaucracy. Quote, FDA also understands the concerns from cigar retailers about the effect that a ban on free samples could have on their ability to promote new products. FDA wishes to clarify that allowing prospective adult buyers to smell and handle my drama, a cigar is not considered the distribution of a free sample. This is the amazing part. No shit, really. So you can touch the cigar and it's not considered to be a free sample. Like, we didn't know that? Ah, but then we get into the essence of lighting it, Dave. As long as the product is not actually consumed in the retail facility, in other words, we're attacking, enjoying a cigar in a cigar shop, and the prospective buyer does not leave the facility with a free tobacco product whole or in part because you just might have smoked some of that free sample inside the doors of your local cigar shop. Affording adult consumers the opportunity to handle the product will give them the ability to feel the resistance of the cigar's structure and allow them to clearly see the color of the product, which is an indication of the fermentation period for the tobacco. It will also allow the users to capture the aroma of the cigar, this is language in a bureaucratic document. And that's called BBS, bureaucratic bullshit. It's, I find it mind-boggling that we have paid an American bureaucracy to describe this and to attack the ability to say, before you make that 6 8 $10 investment, you can enjoy a cigar to see if you actually want to purchase a $250 box of those cigars. This well, is the nanny state at its absolute worst. Absolutely, and this jeopardizes every cigar event across the country. And, and our founding forefathers were not teetotalers. They built this country on booze and on freedom. That's fact. And to, if they were to see what was going on today under this, and what's amazing to me is these are the same people that are in power now in Washington, in the Barack Obama administration and at the FDA and all these other agencies that in the 60s were jumping up and down, smoking pot, and revolting against the government, saying the government had too much power. And what's happened? Here it is 40 years later. They're now in a position of power and abusing power 10 times worse than what was abused in the 60s. This is really uh, just amazing to me that how they, they just blatantly don't care about business. And, and Mitch McConnell said it very well when he was in Tampa at the J.C. Newman Cigar Factory a number of years ago. He said, the Barack Obama administration views that the only way a company is successful, including a cigar manufacturer, they have to be doing one of two things to achieve success. They're either screwing their consumers or they're screwing their employees. And that really is true. You see that everywhere now. The bureaucracy is screwing the cigar employees. They're well, screwing the, lines, the consumers. Dave, I'm sorry, along those lines, Dave, uh, on attack on American jobs, 
page 199 specifically, in my opinion, arrogantly and specifically attacks the jobs at the J.C. Newman factory in Tampa. It brings up those cigars. It brings up those facilities. And it says, basically, I'm paraphrasing, they don't care that 135 workers there now find their jobs in jeopardy, much less the entire supply chain that exists from the port of Miami uh, through the entire state of Florida up to Pennsylvania and the distribution houses of Pennsylvania to the tobacco farms in Connecticut. They have blatantly said, we don't care. All right, so the nuclear bombs have been dropped. How do we as a cigar industry tell us uh, where things stand? I know there was emergency meetings the last few days with the cigar rights. I know all the organizations, the IPCPR, the Cigar Association of America, uh, everybody's involved in this. But tell us uh, where you see it going from here. I'm sure there will be litigation. Well, there is a saving grace in that the uh, one point we haven't been able to get around to, but it's critical at this juncture, absolutely critical, is that uh, a week and a half ago, the United States House of Representatives Appropriations Committee did adopt language that does two things. One piece of language changes that predicate date from 2007 to the time of a final rule, which helps uh, a tremendous number of, of companies and mutual friends of ours. Like, think about manufacturers like Christian Aurora and Ernesto Corello and others that have come back into the business since 2007 and all their products would be jeopardized if that doesn't change. So that predicate date language did get into that appropriations bill. And secondly, um, thanks to the leadership of people like Congressman Adderholt and Congressman Hal Rogers, chairman of the appropriations committee, the language to exempt premium handmade cigars from FDA oversight did get through by saying the FDA shall not spend a federal dollar to advance to to advance to uh, to uh, implement the regulations even before they were put out it says you can't spend a federal dollar to do that and so those two pieces are in that appropriations bill we have a level of confidence that will get through the house of representatives and then the battle lies in the senate so that's an absolute critical uh, piece of the strategy and that won't be played out, though, through the rest of this year. I'll be shocked if Congress adopts a budget before that election. I don't think they will. But between the election and December 31st is an opportunity to get that type of language through the United States Congress. And then, as you brought up, the, the potential for litigation. Uh, we are having joint meetings with the IPCPR and CAA coming up. We all spoke in the last 24 hours. Uh, we're all reviewing this, and we have a fleet both all three organizations really have a fleet of lawyers uh, reviewing every single syllable of this. Uh, we've spent a lot of the last six weeks talking to various law firms that have a great deal of expertise in this type of, of arena. So we're going to be weighing every conceivable option to protect this industry. You know, this is an attack on every cigar shop in America. It's an attack on the supply chain that goes from Florida to Pennsylvania to Connecticut to the trade show states of Louisiana and Nevada. It's an attack on cigar events. Uh, everything from, from yours to California are under attack through this rule. And frankly, with something that we need to really emphasize is that it, it's an attack on trade with Latin America. Uh, this is a critical cornerstone of the economy in Honduras, Nicaragua, and the Dominican Republic. It's a direct attack on trade with those three countries that are in a very economically and politically fragile region. And I think that has been grossly underestimated. And then frank, frankly, there's a great deal of arrogance about that subject in this document. They basically say they don't care. 
and I think that's, a, I don't think, I know that's a subject we're going to be uh, meeting with the embassies about in Washington in the coming week. Well, uh, certainly the appropriations language that was put in, if that could go through, that would basically strike the FDA regulation, correct? Well, it would. It absolutely would. And so we hope that your listeners will go to CigarRights.org, fill out the petition to Congress. That that petition has jumped, jumped by thousands in the last 24 hours. It's critical that cigar smokers get their voices, let their voices be heard with their members of the House and Senate and tell them to advance the premium cigar protection language in the current appropriations bill. Glenn, I'm reminded of the movie Tora, 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 which uh, <laughs> is about the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in 19- December 7, 1941. And I remember one scene where after the attack was done and uh, Pearl Harbor was in shambles, they, they show a shot of one of the Japanese admirals and the Japanese captains on the ship. And the Japanese captain is in a state of euphoria saying, we've got them, we've attacked them. And he looks at the Japanese admiral and says, why do you look so worried? He said, I'm afraid we have just awoken the giant from within. (laughs) And I think that is exactly right. There's no question about it. The cigar industry is awakened. We have had a nuclear attack, but we will fight back and drop 10 times the amount of nuclear power on the FDA and the bureaucrats. Glenn Loop, the executive director of the Cigar Rights of America, we will keep the faith. We will keep up the fight. We appreciate you joining us, and I know that we will keep all of our lieutenants informed. We cannot give up. We must not give up. In the words of uh, the great Winston Churchill, we shall never, 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 never give in, never give up. Glenn, we appreciate you joining us as always. Thank you, General. Appreciate all your support. All right, lieutenants, we hope you enjoy this bonus podcast. Again, the attack on the cigar industry by the FUDA, and you know exactly what the FU stands for because the FDA has screwed you as a cigar connoisseur, the cigar manufacturers, and the cigar industry employees. We'll keep you updated, lieutenants. I will enjoy my cigar now, and every puff I take, I will think of annihilating the Obama bureaucrats. I am fed up with them. I am fed up with this administration. They can all go to hell.